and welcome to this episode of Tez Podagogy. I'm Helen Amas, I'm Deputy Commissioning Editor here at the TES, and today I'm joined by Dr Tara Porter, who's a clinical psychologist at the Royal Free London NHS Trust. She specialises in working with eating disorders and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome Tara. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, could you start by just telling us how much we know about the prevalence of eating disorders amongst school-aged children? How big of a problem is it at the moment in the UK? Um, that's a complicated question because um, diagnostic criteria change and also um, it's a very secretive disorder. So. Mm. Um, it's sort of best estimates really. So mm. we, we think around uh, possibly two or three percent of the adolescent population um, will have an anorexic or bulimic type eating disorder. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really difficult to know. I mean the peak presentation for eating disorders is between 15 and 19 years old. That's mm -hmm. when most eating disorders start. Mm -hmm. And is there um a type of eating disorder that's that's particularly common for that age group, or, or does it does it really vary? Um, we tend to think of anorexia nervosa being a, m a more typical eating disorder that occurs earlier in adolescence, mm -hmm. and the bulimia nervosa tends to come later. Sometimes bulimia nervosa arises from a anorexic picture and then it evolves into a bulimic picture mm, because mm. it's very difficult to maintain um, long-term starvation or long-term restriction or of, of food mm. so often that leads to a picture of, of binge eating. Mm. So uh, you, you mentioned uh, uh, anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa there which I think are sort of fairly common um, uh, you know people are fairly aware of, of what those disorders and are, but just in case people aren't familiar with them, could you just give us a little bit of a, a definition of those, those two disorders? Uh, sure. I mean, when we're thinking about eating disorders, we're thinking uh, about a, at the heart of it, it's a preoccupation, an obsession with uh, food and eating and weight and shape. Mm -hmm. um, and how that plays out with people can plays out, play out differently. And the, the categorizations, you know, are can be useful but you know we don't want to get too caught up on, mm. on them. I mean sometimes they're characterized as anorexia nervosa is a, a problem where there's an over control of food and eating mm -hmm. um, and binge eating disorder is a problem with under control of, of regulation of food and eating mm. and bulimia is uh, a picture where young people or older adults um, oscillate between the two mm. positions. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So anorexia nervosa typically um, people are restricting their eating, they are, they have the psychologically, they have the preoccupation with weight and shape, it's often associated with anxiety, um, with perfectionism, with control, mm. um, they will um, have changes in their behaviour to, to try and avoid food, so they will be skipping meals, mm. l possibly lying about food, um, they will uh, be over-exercising, they'll be very concerned with the perhaps the provenance of food. With a, with a bulimia picture, the typical adolescent bulimic picture would be to wake up in the morning saying, I am not going to eat today, I mm. ate too much yesterday, I'm not going to eat today, and they'd skip breakfast, skip lunch, and then um, when they get in from school, the typical picture would be that they would uh, feel overwhelmed, you know, terribly, terribly hungry, and they they have a binge, which they feel incredibly guilty, and that it's a horrific thing, 
um, because they've got this preoccupation with their weight and shape and they've just completely failed as they see it um, mm. and then they will end up uh, end up vomiting and then go through the same picture the next day yeah so you mentioned a little bit about the um, age where these disorders most commonly um, tend to occur in adolescence um, what about the sort of profile of the 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 young person that that might be susceptible is there um, are there some common factors um, which tend to make a young person more susceptible to developing an eating disorder or can it really happen to anybody um, I mean there is a a more typical, you know, stereotypical, mm. if you like, mm. profile, but which has some truth in it. Mm -hmm. So, um, with the anorexic profile, we tend to there's, well, we tend to see, but it's also backed up by research. Um, it very much associated with other conditions like obsessionality, anxiety. Um, it's it's very much associated with high academic achievement, mm. educational achievement as well. Mm. Um, the bulimic picture, although you know people do oscillate between the two, so it's not a it's sort of rule, it, it's not a, a cut-off, mm. um, but a bulimic picture tends to be more associated with um, low self-esteem and perhaps other problems with um, regulation, so they're not so um, worried about being perfect uh, about their schoolwork or timekeeping or less obsessionality mm. so those those are some of the profile pictures mm. and is it um is it something that's sort of more common in girls i mean it's that's the kind of stereotype is yes it, it's it is it disorder. is it's been um the statistics that we've got um, have consistently shown it's about 90% female right. and that's been a fairly stable statistic mm. um, in my own clinic sometimes we get a few more boys per one year and then it evens out over the years mm. over the years so it tends to be about 10% boys and 90% girls it's yes quite big difference it's then. a female on international women's yeah, day of course. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's uh, a female that's condition largely yes um, I mean, do, do we have any idea why that might be, or is it something we don't really know the answer to? I think it's complicated. I mm. think um, when we think about, um, it's, it's interesting, when I'm in, in, in the clinic with young girls and their parents, often I find that the mums, even though they have a completely healthy relationship with food and their, their own bodies, often understand the eating disorder mm. better than the dads who, you know, incredibly motivated but just seems very alien to them and I, I often wonder whether that's about gendered narratives about mm. um, women's eating in society, about women's bodies in societies and mm -hmm. the pressures we put um, in the media and the social media for girls to look a particular way. Mm. Um, but I also wonder about, I think, um, in schools you often find a picture of girls being more studious mm -hmm. or um, more perfectionistic about their work, taking it all more seriously and that is the profile mm -hmm. that tends to be, uh, that we tend to see in our anorexic patients. Yeah. So, so it's complicated. Mm. Do we know anything more about what, what causes these disorders you, you mentioned sort of um, you know messages from the media potentially being a factor um, what do we know anything else about the causes well I mean there has been shown to be you know genetic mm -hmm. um, a, a genetic predisposition we right. might think mm -hmm. um, like many mental health conditions I guess we're thinking about as kind of 
diathesis stress model or biopsychosocial model that it's not a sort of unitary factor that's impacting on people developing mental health problems mm. that there's a number of different factors so mm -hmm. it can be due with genetics it can be due, due to stress in the background um, in, in the, the, the eating disorder can be a solution to a stressful situation mm -hmm. um, that a young person finds himself in. When, when, we, when, I'm, when I'm talking with young people, I often try and create a formulation which is really about their narrative about how the eating disorder started. And often that's in that formulation, they're, they're talking about that they've always been anxious, they've always been perfectionist, they've always wanted to do their best. Mm -hmm. And then something happened that they're, possibly their parents got divorced or they were bullied at school or a really difficult secondary transfer mm. um, and that made them feel kind of out of control. Often then there was a trigger where somebody commented about their weight or shape or they became very interested in um, a particular type of sport which where their, their body shape was important and that tipped them into dieting as a sort of coping mechanism. Mm, mm. Um, and then um, the dieting if they're very good at it, can become self-fulfilling. The, the, the psychological um, side effects of starvation are an obsession with food and mm -hmm. eating, mm -hmm. and that, that gets fed back into keeping the diet even better. E uh, added to which the young person may find that some of the other difficult feelings, the, the feelings about being bullied or the feelings about their body or the feelings about their parents' divorce are slightly numb. They're not thinking about it so much. They're mm. thinking about food and eating and that's something they can control. Mm -hmm. So it's complicated. Yeah, I keep saying that. No, it's, it's, it's obviously, it's, it's a very complicated, and because we're talking about um, you know, several disorders, not just, just one mm -hmm. is sort of an umbrella mm -hmm. term for, for mm -hmm. all these different conditions. Um, <laughs> With that in mind, um, what are some of the, the likely effects of having an eating disorder as a young person, um, both on, on that young person's school outcomes and also perhaps for, um, for uh, outcomes in later life? Yes, I mean, that? it's interesting that you should separate them like that, Helen, because mm. um, the, the young people we see in clinic who are still in in school um, generally do very well mm. in, in in school mm. um, this the obsessionality they apply to their eating is also an obsessionality they apply to mm. their schoolwork in fact often they will skip lunch um, to go to the library right. to and they often say well I had to finish some homework and then I press them and I say really or did you have to do your homework better or did you have to re-revise stuff you'd already revised for tests so they really push into their academic work mm. having said that you know treatment can be very disruptive to schooling mm -hmm. um, and often young people have to miss quite a lot of schooling to come for the treatment which of course is crucially important because anorexia particularly is a very serious mental and physical mm. um, health condition mm. and has you know the highest levels of mortality amongst any psychiatric condition mm. so you know it's really crucial that they come into the appointments but in the short term they tend to do very well academically mm -hmm. um, it is really extraordinary because the the brain studies of young people suffering from um, anorexia are that their brains there is shrinkage in the brain right. the, the white matter the gray matter shrinks and yet they carry on Putting, doing so well with their academic achievements. Mm. In l the longer term, the um, 
the outcomes if they do not get if the treatment doesn't happen and they um, fall into a chronic eating disorder are less good mm -hmm. um, so it's for teachers you, you know have to think about the short term where they're probably your uh, a star students mm -hmm. and then the long term where the outcomes the um, engagement in education the um, academic success and the economic success in terms of people's career is is less less positive mm, mm. i mean i read i think i read in the times educational supplement last year that 723 children got straight nines in their new gcses um and it, they were disproportionately re represented amongst my patients oh, i think right, yeah okay. you know you see a lot of that yeah i mean i suppose that could potentially mean that um if someone's doing really well in school they might slip under the radar you know especially if they are exhibiting symptoms which perhaps aren't um, really obvious to the to the naked eye um, but do you think that's something that, that tends to happen with with eating disorders I think um, with the anorexic profile mm. people that does have such a physical manifestation in the that people are over time good at picking that up. I think the bulimic profile is much more tricky for, for, for people to pick up in mm -hmm. schools. Yeah. However, having said that, um, a lot of the young people we see in clinic are first identified in a school setting. Either mm -hmm. their friends are concerned about them or their mm -hmm. teachers are concerned about them and have talked to them and encouraged them to get help or to talk to their parents. Mm -hmm or the teachers have phoned home and talked to the parents that they've been worried about the the, the weight loss particularly. So mm. I think, you know, teachers have, you know, a crucial role in that. They yeah. really can be very helpful in helping young people get the help they need. And I think parents as well, when they're seeing their, their children every day, sometimes they don't notice the changes that mm. are right under their nose. Sure. We don't look at the people who are close to us yeah. every day and, and they, they're often shocked by their weight lo the weight loss of their children when they mm. when they see them. Whereas teachers with that little bit more distant yeah. often can notice those changes. Yeah, well, if it's happening gradually, that's the thing. That's with, it. with something like weight, you don't yes. you don't spot it, do you? You don't spot it. No, I mean, so thinking about that, then how what can how can teachers recognise the signs then um, of, a, of a pupil perhaps having an eating disorder or going in that direction? Even? I um, well, obviously, weight loss is one yeah. of the really really important ones. Yeah. Um, so young person um, not going to puberty often young people with weight losing eating disorders will be hiding their body but mm -hmm. often they'll also a side effect of losing a lot of weight is that they're constantly cold so if a young person is wearing multiple layers or thick jumpers in the middle of winter and hiding their body deliberately they that might be a, a warning sign for mm. a teacher um, obviously fainting dizzy those can be signs of either types of eating disorder mm. Um, if they, if the teacher notices changes in their behaviour, if they notice that they're isolating them from from their friends um, or increased interest in studying, that could be a sign. Um, obviously, skipping meals. Mm. Um, I know that teachers are often taking a well-earned break at lunchtime. They may not be aware of that one. They may be not in the in the lunch hall. Self-harm is very strongly associated with eating disorders and mm. again that's associated with sort of covering up your body as well mm -hmm. so that should be a bit of a red flag. Mm. Um, mood changes, um, becoming more sullen, withdrawn, um, sad obviously, mm. um, or highly anxious about their work, 
Um, and again, there's the, the preoccupation with, with food and eating. Um, one of the, with the anorexic um, condition, often people become very interested in cooking, mm. um, feeding other people. Mm. It's the, how they play out that the side effect of starvation, which I mentioned earlier about um, becoming obsessed with food and eating. Mm. And if you if you do spot some of these signs, what what advice would you would you give to teachers? What you know, how should they respond to that? I think um, teachers would probably talk to some of their colleagues and mm. try and put together a few pieces of the jigsaw. Mm. And then the best thing to do is for one of the, the a teacher who's close or got a good relationship with that that person to sit down and talk to them about mm -hmm. it. And I guess my advice always would be to be curious. Um, to be curious and empathic, to, to, to say to the young person, not to accuse them of anything or try and diagnose them, but just to say what we've noticed, you know, mm -hmm. I've noticed that you're not in the lunch hall, I've noticed that you, you seem cold all the time, mm -hmm. some of your friends have said that you feel a bit, you're, that you're sad or you're not joining them any, as much anymore and we just want to know what's going on for you. Mm -hmm. um, people with eating disorders often are in denial, they're in, mm -hmm. um, they are actively or unconsciously um, protecting their eating disorder position mm -hmm. you know they, they want to carry on losing weight um, so you're unlikely to get um, you, you know sort of yes this is what's happening yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but just you know just be curious be interested mm -hmm. and see what uh, see whether it makes sense to you and mm -hmm. then I think you know teachers will have to refer to their kind of local safeguarding sure. policies and think about whether they break that young person's confidence whether mm -hmm. they need to talk to their parents mm -hmm. I mean ideally you'd get the young person to talk to their parents or go to their GP yeah. um, but often teachers have to have to intervene what's crucial with eating disorders because it's such a serious disorder is is early intervention and early yeah. treatment yeah. much better prognosis with those things so yeah. So don't sit on your concerns for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a huge transformation in eating disorder services in England over the last few years. Mm -hmm. um, we have very strict, um, you know, you have a lot of problems getting kids into general CAMs, yeah. but for, ki for kids who've got suspected eating disorders, we have to see them very quickly now. Right, okay, that's interesting. Uh, um, so we will see all cases within 28 days mm -hmm. um, and urgent cases within a week and emergency cases on the day yeah. if necessary. So we will see them very quickly mm. um, and that's important. Yeah, definitely. That's really, that's it's good news that, you know, that's sort of moving in the right direction. It I is, suppose, it is. you hear so much about, about um, you know, uh, the state of CAMS places and how difficult it is to, to get, um, you know, referral and things. So. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, if you wanted to comment on that then. <laughs> well, it, it is and we have, you know, because of the severity mm. of the eating disorders, um, as I've talked about the mortality yeah. Yeah. and the long-term physical complications of having an eating disorders mm. and the, you know the high level of suicide mm. amongst the eating disorder um, population that um, they have that's where they've put the first wave of transformation money in and mm. we have got very strong and tight access and waiting times mm. um, the whole country the whole eating disorders com uh, every service in the country has been through a, a training program mm. and had, a, had additional resources and mm. lots of services have been reorganized so that is one area where um, well we still don't have enough yeah, but compared to our, our friends and colleagues in general camps we have um, we, we have been an area where we've received extra funding yeah it's really good news 
And what about if you um, are a teacher who has a uh, student in your class who uh, you know has been diagnosed with an eating disorder and that that's something that they're sort of they're struggling with, they're perhaps out for appointments and things. What kind of support can you offer to um, help that, that pupil as best you can? I think it, it, it is about the flexibility mm. that they will need to attend appointments. It's a, it's a long-term treatment. Um, they may be attending appointments for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, if we go back a generation, m most many young people with eating disorders would have been um, removed from school and put mm. into a, um, a, a hospital and had their treatment in hospital. The research indicates that what then happened is they came out of hospital and they lost all the weight and they had to go back into mm. hospital again. So now it's about a community treatment and the community treatment is about teaching, helping young people learn to eat in the community where they live, mm -hmm. where they're gonna have to live in the long term. Mm -hmm. um, and that makes, that makes intuitive sense, but also it gives the young person a lot of opportunities um, to engage in real life, and it's real life that will pull them out of the eating disorder. Mm. Um, so, so we're trying to keep them in school yeah. because that's where their real life is, that's where their friends are, that's um, where, where their community is, mm. but they also have to come to a lot of appointments. So just trying to be flexible about that. And I know schools are under a lot of pressure on um, having their attendance records mm. high um, and it just happened to me yesterday in in my work where a mum forwarded a letter from um, her daughter's school where the, the school had a slightly complaining tone mm. about why her attendance was at 85% and this mm. young person's been so ill mm. over the last few weeks mm. it is amazing their attendance is 85% yeah. Um, so just bearing that in mind, so flexibility, not giving them a hard time about missing their lessons, mm -hmm. trying to support them to make up the extra work. These are often are the patients, sorry, they're often are the pupils, our patients, your pupils, sure. um, who really mind about missing one lesson a term, let yeah. alone several lessons per week. And so if you can support them in helping them go to their appointments and make sure that you give the message that their health is the most important thing. Yeah, then and not kind of putting putting additional pressure on them, I suppose, when yes. they're already sort of internally under so much pressure. Oh, it's you know. awful for them to have to miss school. Yeah, yeah. they hate it. Yeah. And it's yeah. um, anything, that, you know, even a glance the teacher um, makes can really upset them, you yeah. know, because they're so often so studious and so... Yeah, it's really difficult. What about um, sort of raising awareness in general within school about eating disorders, perhaps um, teaching about them more explicitly, do you think that's something that could be useful? Or? The, the jury is out on that mm -hmm. issue. Um, it, it's very difficult um, to, to do that without somehow glamorising or suggesting um, the eating disorder. Um, so that's not something, I mean I've read different opinions about it, it's mm -hmm. not something that I think personally is particularly mm -hmm. helpful, um, but you know I'm not sure that every professional would agree with me on that, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a bit of a grey area. Yeah. Um, I think educating young people about um, mental health more generally mm -hmm. can be particularly helpful, helping young people to have emotional literacy mm -hmm. to be able to identify their feelings can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I also think about a nuanced discussion about food and eating, which um, doesn't just focus on the nutritional quality of food. Mm. Um, it's really, really important. Um, so I know that schools have to teach about the nutritional course, yeah. quality, mm. uh, the nutritional um, factors in food, yeah. but we that shouldn't be the only discussion. Mm. If we eat for if we judged everything we ate on just what its nutritional content was, sure. then we that is a, almost an eating disorder. We'd be very sad all the time. Yes. <laughs> so food is about celebration. Mm -hmm. It's about being part of a community. It's mm. being part of a um, a family. Mm. It's about um, intuition. It mm. should be about joy. Mm. It's about how hungry we feel. Mm -hmm. It's about availability. Mm. It's the compl the decisions we make about food are very, very complicated mm. decisions we make about food and eating. So a more nuanced conversation about that as mm. part of the nutritional teaching, I think, is very helpful for eating disorders. Yeah. Well, I think there's also been a lot of discussion um, from, from certain schools that I've, um, I've come across uh, in, in my work here um, where they are trying to make lunchtime more of a kind of uh, you know, a community event where it's everyone coming together to eat together. There's sort of um, good home cooked food. We're not trying to rush students through their lunch just to get to the next lesson. Um, and so, kind of making lunch a sort of focal point uh, in the school day. And some schools are starting to do more of that, which I expect that would be fantastic. helpful. <laughs> yes, it'd be, that'd be absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Yes, it would be really great to have have that. Yeah, yeah. so a bit more of that and <laughs> a bit less of um, of. of just kind of focusing on the nutrition could be helpful. Yes. Great. Okay. Well, thanks very much for speaking to me, Tara. It's been really interesting. Thank you.